Welcome to the Healing the City podcast. The following podcast is a ministry of the Village Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you wish to support the Healing the City podcast, you can go to the show notes, click support the show, and you can become a subscriber for three, five, or ten dollars a month. This will help offset the hosting costs and continue the ministry of Healing the City podcast. Also, if you wish to support the show, we really encourage you to rate us on Apple and Spotify and other places that podcasts are listened to, and give us a good review. Thanks. Welcome to Healing City Podcast. My name is Eric Seepin, and across from me, again, is Russ Lewis, and we are talking about vulnerability, and so I'm going to turn it right over to you. You've been writing stuff on vulnerability and have a plan to write more. So we, I thought we should talk about some of it. Yeah. So vulnerability is a theological concept that has been really changing how I've been viewing God and um, how I've been how I've been how I've been answering a lot of the difficult questions of the faith. Actually, um, so I did write on. I'm going to quote from my own Substack here. Um, but what this is, vulnerable, vulnerability is the intentional placing of power into the hands of another, knowing that this gives them the power to have meaningful negative impact on the chooser. The choice is made for the sake of the blessing of the other. Oh, that's a lot to unpack just in that definition. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, historically I come out of, as I've said, the the conservative theology and God is very big and God is very powerful. Um, I switched over to being a Calvinist in late high school and so very much, you know, big believer in sovereignty and God God is in control and God appoints what things are going to happen. Um, and then as I went into college, I was introduced to this this new way of thinking that was talking a lot more about brokenness, that was talking about being open about how you're actually pro- or how you're actually handling things, um, knowing that we have sin at all sorts of levels, and so we need to expose that. And over the years, that has generalized and morphed inside my heart to be this general idea of. I need to be vulnerable to others. And vulnerability in the sense that I'm talking about, there's a lot of layers to unpack sure. about it. But the, when I talk about being vulnerable, what I mean is not using the power that I have to control things. Because when you go back to, to Crab's idea, like Crab, Crab is a big believer in the idea that we have things that we long for and these things are valid these things are beautiful they're worthwhile there's you're not supposed to abandon them you're not supposed right. to ignore them but the moment that you move from saying i want this thing i long for this thing wouldn't it be beautiful if this thing happened and you move into i'm going to take actions to arrange the world to make sure that this thing happens then you move into the world of the demand, and that's almost always selfish, and it's usually destructive in yeah. other people. 
And so the, on the Substack, I use the example of my wife a lot of like, hey, I want you to treat me a certain way. I want you to be sensitive to this longing of mine, or here's how I want you to be interacting with the kids. And it's really important to me because I think this is the right way to do things. Or, you know, I want you to... I want you to not bother me when I'm having some alone time, or I'd like you to respond if I'm interacting with you in a certain way. I can express all these things, but if I go out and I try to force them to happen against Emily, then I'm acting selfishly. And so the godly path is to say, I wish this thing would happen. I can even express to Emily that I would like to have this thing happen. But I am not going to try to force it to happen. Um, it, I'm, it, it's not just with my, my wife. As, as I think about it more, it becomes more and more a general principle in all my relationships. Right. Like with my kids. I say, you know, they're both approaching adulthood. I'm really trying to transition them into making good adult decisions. And I say, here's the thing that I would like to see happen. Here's the thing either that I, as a matter of wisdom, I think would be good for you to do, or this would be a kind way to treat me or your mother or all these sorts of things. I can offer these things to you, but I'm not actually going to demand that you do them. I'm not going to set a rule that says you have to do them. I'm instead going to say, this is a choice that I'm placing before you. I'm giving you power. And that power means that you have the ability to choose something that will hurt me or will disappoint me or is going to have negative impact on people around me. And... So vulnerability is that intentional moving in of I could be domineering here. I could be tyrannical and say, absolutely, this is going to happen. Or I can say, I long for this to happen. Will you choose it? Yeah. Um, so that, that, that concept moves just not just you i mean these are layers you're talking about in the sense that there's a layer of your wife the layer of kids that moves and extends to the your friendship your career people you work with people you teach people you go to church with right yeah i i long to be acknowledged at, at work um this was one of the things that was just really really hard for me when i started teaching because I was convinced that I was an excellent teacher. Mm. And so every year we have um, awards. And we got to the end of that first year and they had the teaching award. I'm like, oh, I'm looking forward to walking up in front. And they gave it to somebody else. And the next year they had the teaching award and they gave it to somebody else. Mm. And I started out angry. Mm. And indignant. And because you, to just talk about some of your language that you've explained earlier, you had a demand. Yeah. That yeah. you be recognized. I had a demand that, I had be rec- that I'd be recognized. And I could justify that demand. I could, I, I could make an argument that said, hey, 
I deserve this thing. Yeah, yeah. Justice is not being um, meted out. At yeah, some it's, level. yeah. <laughs> right. This is injustice. That I mean, like, I don't have to get all the rewards, but the fact that I've never gotten it, there's something's wrong. But it started out as God just really kind of sticking his finger in my nose and I had to submit. But it's something that God has used over the years to really cultivate a new way of thinking. That God says, what if you just be okay with not getting that? You can long for it. You could wish for it. It's beautiful. But what if you say you're going to celebrate the people who got the award? And, oh, by the way, what if you don't actually know? I mean, I make this claim. It's certainly true inside my heart. I think it's unjust that I've not gotten it. But what if I'm not as good a teacher as I think I am? Are you okay with that? And then somebody came along. We hired somebody who's like, I look at his teaching. I'm like, I'm convinced he's a better teacher than me. What if he gets all those accolades and you never do? Are you willing to sit there? And so the in that moment, I'm being vulnerable to my department. Hmm. I am not like... Lord grant that nobody from my department hears this podcast because I'm not trying to get their attention. I'm not, I'm not, sure, I sure. don't whisper any of this anywhere because I'm not trying to start a campaign sure. to change this. Right. I'm more saying I'm going to be the best teacher I can and you guys can give the awards where you want to go. But more importantly than that. I'm vulnerable to God. Right. Because God's actually the one in control. See, um, God is the one who determines, you know, God directs the, the, the heart of the king, like the course of the water. And so if my department has not given me accolades, then God has decided that I'm not going to get accolades. Yeah. And even... Yeah, maybe that's justice. Maybe it, maybe I'm totally wrong and I don't deserve it. Right, right. Maybe it's injustice, but it's still God chose to not use his power mm-hmm. to fix it. Yeah. So I ought to be okay with that too. Yeah, and, and it really shifts your focus of where, you know, well done, good and faithful servant comes from. Yes. From the people. Or from from the one who can actually give you that that statement with exactly. any substance or meaning. That's powerful. I like that. Um, so, can we just like one of the things in your article or talking about um, vulnerability? You do bring it out of uh, Philippians chapter two, and in particular out of the beautiful song that's in that uh, that hymn of of who Jesus is and the mind of Christ and Him lowering Himself. Can you process that a little bit and how that kind of influences the way you think about vulnerability? Yeah, and and that was a very – in the Substack, I start, I start from Philippians 2, but it was a very long process of me getting there because I started with a very high view of sovereignty and really started with this assumption that 
God stood outside the world and directed it like someone flipping switches right. on a control yeah. panel. And and yet the Bible is full of claims that God is emotionally involved. Right. Now, what do you do with those? There's a lot of ways, particularly in Calvinism, where they will you know, try to explain those away. They're all metaphorical. They're not really there. Um, but it does feel a bit like we're trying to mute the Bible if we take all those claims away. Right, and and just to like put in a little bit here of, you keep saying things like Krabby and or Dr. Crab. So we're talking about Dr. Larry Crab, and yeah. one of his main things is to point out how relational God is exactly. within Scripture. And uh, so anyway, I just... Yeah, it's absolutely. So, so God is deeply involved. And so the, the big question, of course, being, you know, the, the other extreme. So the, the Calvinist perspective tends to be God is the commander at a distance who directs. Um, when people start talking about an emotional God, they usually go to open theology or something like that, where it says, well, God's not really in control. Or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, he feels deeply, and then he just goes off on some tangent. Right, right, right. I'm, I'm trained to integrate those two somehow of, like, can we have a sovereign God who's absolutely in control and un changed by his experience and yet is intensely relational and emotional and responsive yeah and and and, and responsive but you have to, I have to be so careful with the words it's not responsive in the sense of god does something different than he planned because of something that happened to him but more the matter of the whole sweep of what God is doing in his whole plan of sovereignty includes the choices made by people as meaningful inputs to that. Mm. And to fully flesh that out, we have to go way deep into um, uh, you know questions of determinism and non-determinism. But, but what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is the internal unchanging God yes. who knew from the beginning of creation exactly what he was going to do all the way to the end of eternity. He is not changed by what we do, but the thing that he planned out to do yeah. includes our choices as some of the causative i don't know if causative is the right word but that this is where i can and the the thing i've keep coming back to is the idea of meaningful impact mm-hmm. and men maybe even going further than the words meaningful impact is dangerous when we talk about god that we're making choices that impact god in real ways well and that the, and, and i mean i guess i would argue that uh, we are, I mean, I don't think you're in, in a danger spot in that when Jesus becomes the fullness of, of, you know, the image of God fully bearing on him, as we were reading in, in Colossians, um, and the spirit is poured out, there is a, a different dance that's happening than would say happening in the Old Testament 
in the way that God is impacted meaningfully <laughs> and relationally. I mean, and what you're trying to describe, I think, is 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 like this lifelong project of understanding God and His relationship, right? Right. right. <laughs> and it's so trying to be you're you're struggling to put words at times to it, but it's but it's but what you're saying is these categories that we've put God in aren't aren't categories that He fits in. He right. keeps spilling out of them. Right. They're good categories. And we're trying to make like, but they're all approximate. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so you're trying to, and I really like that. I like. And so anyway, to so, continue. Yeah. So Philippians two then is a picture. Well, before we go Philippians two, let's go Gethsemane, because Gethsemane is another terrible theological problem because we have God praying to Himself. And we have God saying, I don't want to do what God's plan is. And, and that's obviously not at the deeper level, actually, what's happening. But but there's, as God tries to make himself known to finite humans who are never going to actually understand him, the closest approximation he could come to, to helping us understand him, was that the son goes to the father and says, I don't want to do this. And the father says, you have to do this anyway. And when I look at that, it really sounds a heck of a lot like the vulnerability that I've been learning in my own life, where I go to the father and I say, here's the thing I long for. Here's what I want my kids to do. Here's what I want my boss to do here's what i want my wife to do here's what here's what i want to see in the wider world here's what i want to see yeah here's all uh, my longings and <laughs> desires yeah, all these things but i'm going to put them in front of you and then you're going to be in charge of deciding which ones get fulfilled and which don't and i am going to say okay i'm willing to accept whatever you've ordained for me and so it seems that this thing of vulnerability that I've been learning about is something that Jesus experiences in relationship to the Father. And when you look at Philippians 2, you start to realize that that's the way the Godhead has been interacting with humanity. Not in the sense of like, sovereignty where we appoint something for God, but where God says, here's something that I want, and you're going to have the power to decide whether I have it or not. Right. You know, my, my mom always talks about the agony of, of, of creation and how God, there had to be some agony when creating image bearers because he knew they could choose yeah. not to love him. Well, and I would go further because I am still a, a Calvinist where I would say, like, he creates us with choice. And so then that's where, like, the with choice is where meaningful impact. Like, we can, we have choices that actually arise from our own nature and have impact on the nature of the universe. Yeah. And including God's experience. But he's also sovereign. And so he knows perfectly what that choice is going to be. And so when he creates us, 
he's creating not the potential for right, sin. Right. Well, he, he's at one level, he's creating a potential for sin that will come about outside himself. Sure. And in the other sense, he's creating the inevitability of sin because he knows exactly what these humans are going to do. And so when you look at Philippians 2, it says Christ was in very nature God. Mm-hmm. He was God. He had all of the authority of God. He had all the rights of God. He had all the position, all the status of God. And he had absolutely zero obligation to us. And if, and if you say, well, Russ, don't you have some obligation? He didn't have any obligation to the devil. Right. Because the devil is going to be – the devil didn't get a chance for salvation. And you say, well, okay, well, maybe he had some obligation to us because of we were created in his image. But there are people who are going to go to hell. And somehow it's okay that God could leave those people in that path where they're going to go to hell. So I think that in if you sit down with the law books and you say, what duties does God have? I make the claim that God has absolutely no duty to save us at all. Zero. But he chooses to do so. And in fact, by creating humanity, what he's doing is he's setting up a situation where people can make meaningful choices that will have the end result that he will choose to to save them, but the cost is going to be terrible. And so, who being very in who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he's not going to use his power and his rights to go out and say, I demand that you treat me like God. I demand that you obey me. I demand that you respect me. I demand that you worship me. But instead took on the form of a slave, being, being made in human likeness. Right. He became obedient even to death on a cross. So when God creates humanity... He says, you guys are going to have choices, and these choices are going to set up a path that's going to require me not to cease being God, but to cease being treated as if I was God. And I'm going to go down, and I'm going to be a human. I'm going to live inside this broken world that you do, and then I'm going to allow you to kill me. And I think that is... Vulnerability. Yeah, it's it's yeah, the it's yeah, the best picture of it all. Right. That like Jesus comes to Earth and says, "Humans, I mean, first of all, I'm on Earth I, because of choices you've made in the past. Right. But also, he comes to Israel, right? He knows exactly what's going to happen. Nothing's happening outside his sovereignty, but he offers the path of salvation to Israel. He says, "The kingdom of God is here." If you want the day of the Lord to show up like the prophets prophesied, it's here. Have it now. I'm available. And they say, no, we don't want you to disrupt our happy little system. We're going to send you off to the Romans to get you murdered. 
So Jesus is vulnerable to the people of his time who choose to who choose to kill him. And when Jesus goes to Gethsemane, he says, well, I'm aware that this is the plan. We've been setting this up since before humans existed. But I'm going to be real honest with you, Father. This sounds really, really hard. Yeah. Is there any other way? Can you get me out of this? And again, that's the thing. Like, there's a couple of things he could have said. One of the things he could have said is he said, I am God. And therefore, I will, by my great self-discipline, I will go out and I will say, I choose to die for the humans. Ain't I a great, noble person? But he doesn't say that. He puts himself in vulnerability to the Father and says, you get to choose. You've been listening to Healing the City Podcast with Pastor Eric Seepin. This particular podcast is part one of Russ Lewis's Thoughts on Vulnerability. If you'd like to know more about Russ Lewis's thoughts on vulnerability, you can check out his Substack. Also, next week, you'll get to hear part two.